0: Good morning. Good morning, great to see everyone here today and uh, what a blessing to be able to come together uh, and worship in this way. Uh, we began receiving word early this morning about drone attacks, uh, not only on the city of Kiev, but also in Zhytomyr, which is just about 100 miles from Kiev. But by God's grace, uh, he has continued to watch over and protect all of the folks that we know there and is taking care of them. We're so grateful for that. One of the messages that we received was from Vitalik Amadouk, the uh, preacher in Jatomir, and he said it was a terrible night, five hours of attacks, five hours of air raid alerts, and uh, we will all be at worship today to give thanks to God uh, that he spared us. Uh, That's faith. That is faith. Uh, Instead of thinking... Uh, We will all stay at home, so we won't be gathered in one place should a missile hit. We will all come together and thank God. So I'd like for you to join me in prayer as we pray for our brothers and sisters, and we thank God for continuing to protect them. Let's bow together. Father, uh, as you promise in your word, you, you care for your people. You watch over them, and you bless them, and you have continually done so for our loved ones in Ukraine. And we thank you and we praise you for doing so, and we ask that you continue to give them your blessings and your protection, and that very soon you will give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the hot topics that we hear so much about today is gun control. And we hear a lot about it because there's so much violence, and I guess it's only natural to look for a way to control violence. Like any weapon, as is often pointed out, a gun can be a force for good or a force for evil, depending on how it's used. Did you know that right now, you are carrying a concealed weapon that can do even more good or more harm than a gun? I know you're packing it because it's with you 24 seven. You never take it off, you never unload it, you're never without it. It's always there. The wise man spoke about it in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, when he said this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. He's not talking about the organ of speech. He's talking about what we do with it. He's talking about the way we choose to use it, whether we choose to use it in ways that give life or in ways that bring death. Proverbs 12 verse 18 uses another weapon image when it says, "There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing." In Psalms 64 verse 3 it says, "Evildoers wet their tongues like swords." And aim bitter words like arrows. Have you ever known anyone who spoke words as though they were bullets? Aimed at somebody. Aimed at a target. Aimed at bringing down. Aimed at criticizing. Aimed at destroying. But the good news about the tongue is that it can be controlled. And the news of that is that it must be controlled by God's people. It can be a tremendous force for good. It doesn't have to be a weapon of mass destruction. We're beginning this morning a four-part series of studies on the tongue and its power. If you look at all the references to the tongue in Scripture, you'll find that most of them, and this is instructive in itself, most of them are negative. Most of them talk about the destructive power of the tongue. But before we get to that, I want us to notice what the Bible says about the positive uses of the tongue. How much good can be done with the tongue. So that we will have a goal, we will have a vision of how we ought to be using this gift of speech that God has given us. So that we can use it in ways that are powerfully good. There are many ways that we can use that gift that God has given us as a force for good. And I just want to point out a few of them to you this morning. Perhaps the most obvious one is we can use our tongues to praise God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We've just been doing that together this morning, haven't we? And it's a joy to do it. It's a joy to come together and to lift up uh, our voices in praise, to, to use our power of speech to talk about uh, all the good things that God has done for us, to utter words of praise and adoration and gratitude for God's gracious nature and for the, the gift of his Son. And so we do that formally in public worship when we come together. It says, described in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, that we are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful description of worship that we speak to one another, that we are addressing one another. We're not not only offering up our praises to God directly, but we're also talking to each other as we sing about how good God really is and, and all the wonderful things that God has really done for us. And there's a parallel verse in Colossians 3 and verse 16 that says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And notice that in both the Ephesians 5 text and the Colossians 3 text, that expression one another. That's what points to to corporate worship. That's what points to what we're doing here today. And we come together recognizing that we are the body of Christ, recognizing that we need to speak to one another, we need to encourage one another, and we do that as we offer up our praise and our adoration to God. Now, it's fitting that we do that because Psalms 22 and verse 3 says this, you are holy, speaking to God, you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. I want you to think about that imagery for just a minute. That when we offer up our praises to God, whether it's Israel or whether it's God's people, the church, when we offer up our praises to God, we are creating a throne that brings him honor and glory. It is a throne to honor his majesty. It is a throne to honor his goodness and his love God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And that's one reason why worship is so vital to our spiritual development. It trains us to use our tongues as instruments of praise when we're both in and out of the assembly. And one suggestion, if you're having trouble controlling your tongue, come to church more and practice doing it right. Come to church more and use that tongue to lift up God in praise and to speak to other believers and be spoken to with words of praise and of adoration and of encouragement. So we do that formally when we come together to worship. We also do that informally, or at least we should. We can do this even when we're alone. We can do the same thing. In James 5 and verse 13, James says, Is anyone among you suffering let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If you're suffering, pray. He says, if you're cheerful, let him sing praise. Now, the, the singing here is not necessarily public worship any more than the praying. A lot of times when folks are suffering, they, they pray to God uh, individually and, and alone. How about when we are cheerful? Do we sing to God and sing our praises to him? Contemplating God's goodness ought to move us to song, even even in private. I want you to listen to the words of Psalms 34, verses 1 to 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his holy name together. You see what happens in those three verses? There's a progression there. The psalmist says, David says, I will magnify the Lord at all times. In his own life, personally, privately. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to praise God. And then he speaks to the reader and he says, magnify the Lord with me. Join with me in this lifting up of God in praise. So our worship should be an outgrowth of personal devotion, and it can have a positive effect on others and lead them to praise God as well. And if you keep reading in Psalms 34 and verses 4 through 10, he gives you some examples, some examples of what he would praise God for, what he would magnify the Lord about. Here's what he says. or a couple of things he says. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Have you ever told anybody that? Have you ever told anybody about how God had delivered you? Have you ever told anybody about the good things that God had done for you, how you were in trouble and you cried out to God and he got you out of it? How hey, you prayed for endurance or you prayed for relief or you prayed for guidance or whatever it was, and God clearly answered that prayer. Have you ever told anybody about that? That's what David's doing. He said, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me out of all my fears. And then a few verses later, he said, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me, and he answered me. You know, that kind of personal testimony is powerful. And here's another suggestion. Practice giving God praise in as many settings as possible not just when you're in worship but look for opportunities to give praise to God to give glory to God to let others know how blessed you are by God and see how much good you will be able to do by doing it so one of the highest uses of our tongues is to praise God for his goodness and his mercy and his love and right along with it is using our tongues to tell the gospel tell the gospel story by telling others the story of Jesus we have the power to change eternity think about the songs that we sing sing them over again to me wonderful words of life let me more their beauty see wonderful words of life words of life and beauty teach me faith and duty beautiful words wonderful words wonderful words of life I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. We need to be telling that story, the one we just sang, Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of your tones. Let me speak to others so that they'll know you too. It's one of the highest uses of the gift of speech. Telling the gospel is not just about preaching, It's about all believers telling others who Jesus is and what he has done in whatever setting we can. Colossians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 says this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Notice this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, those who aren't believers, making the most of the time. That's pretty general, isn't it? That's pretty vague. Making the most of the time. How do you make the most of the time? Let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How do you you walk in wisdom? You do that by making the most of the time, making the most of every opportunity. How do you make the most of that opportunity? You You make sure that you have gracious words to say to other people that those words are seasoned with salt, that you will know how to answer every one. That ought to be the daily focus of all of our lives, using the gift of speech to tell others about the cross and the Christ who died there. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter said, "...in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy." Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Notice he says always be prepared. That's similar to what Paul was saying, wasn't it? Think about it. Think about how you're going to speak to other people. Let your speech always be wise and seasoned uh, with salt. But Peter says always be prepared to make a defense. If somebody asks you, Why do you believe what you believe? Whether they ask you in sincerity and respect or if they ask you in derision, why in the world do you believe such a ridiculous thing? Always be prepared to tell them. Always be prepared to give them a reason for the hope that you have within you. I believe that all of us as believers ought to be able, we ought to have a a two-minute speech Ready in our minds that if anybody asks us that, and if you're on an elevator for two minutes and somebody turns to you and says, Why do you believe what you believe? you ought to be able to tell them. You ought to be able to tell them. We shouldn't have to stand there and stumble around and stutter for words and say, Well, uh, uh, we don't use a piano. <laughs> That's not telling the gospel. We shouldn't stutter around and say, Well, you, you got to be baptized. Okay, that's part of it, but you're not getting to the gospel yet. Why do we believe what we believe? We've got to be ready to tell people what we believe. All of us should be ready to do that. It's one of the highest uses of the tongue. Always be prepared to do that. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. A word fitly spoken is like a beautiful piece of jewelry, an apple of gold set in a, in a setting of silver. Now, I've heard that explained this way, that, that your words need to be eloquent. And when your words are eloquent, then they're beautiful, like that beautiful piece of jewelry. I don't think it's got anything to do with eloquence. I think it has instead to do with your words being appropriate. I think it has to do with your words being suitable to the occasion. I think it has to do with your words being fitted to what you're doing. If somebody's asking you a question about what you believe, 1 Peter 3, verses 14 and 15, be ready to make that defense. Uh, If you are, are dealing with somebody else who's down and out, being ready to speak those words, those words appropriately spoken to that moment to help that person in the situation that they're in. Those words can be so beautiful, they can be so helpful, they can lift people up. Think about how you speak to everyone, especially how to tell them about the Savior. But Here's another way that we can use our tongues in a positive way, and that's by confessing Jesus as Lord. And that happens at the beginning of our Christian lives when we first turn to Christ. That's part of becoming a Christian is confessing Christ and who he is as we are baptized into him and as we rise to walk in newness of life. Confessing Jesus as Lord. In Romans 10, 9 to 11, Paul said, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame now some people I think misread that verse and they think oh there's only one requirement for becoming a Christian and following Jesus and that's just you confess him some point in your life you just say the right words and everything's okay that's not the point read the rest of the Bible and you'll see that isn't the point that doesn't mean that verbal confession is all that's involved in turning to Christ. It's not everything, but it is important because verbal confession shows the reality of our faith, that we are willing to openly declare that we believe in Jesus, and we are openly declaring that from this day forward, we intend to follow him. You know, if you won't do that, it's a problem. If you won't do that, uh, it's, it's trouble, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, if you confess me before men, what? I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. That's what we want, isn't it? We want Jesus, when he looks at us, to say to the Father, that's one of ours. That's one of ours right there. But he said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Nobody wants that. Openly confessing faith in Christ shows the depth and reality of our faith. You know, in today's world, confessing Christ, particularly on a daily basis, particularly in a in a setting at work or at school or in your neighborhood or civic organization or whatever, can sometimes be a risky thing to do. Can sometimes be at times be a risky thing to confess. That you believe in Jesus. It can have lots of negative repercussions. It happens every day. People are punished for their faith. That wouldn't happen if they were silent. But we don't have the option to be silent. We are to use our tongues to confess our faith in Jesus as Lord. And here's another way to use your tongue. Encouraging other believers. It's been about 30 years ago that I first met my friend Philip Slate. Philip was here a number of years ago. Some of you may remember his coming. Philip is an impressive man. He's impressive from the moment that you meet him. He's very distinguished. Uh, He's very well-spoken. He speaks eloquently. He's extremely knowledgeable. I think he's read everything anybody ever wrote. And the, the worst part of it is he remembers it. And he can pull quotations out of things that he read 25, 30 years ago. And he's one of those people that it's hard to be around. You can't be around him for five minutes without learning something, and learning something important. He's just that kind of person. But you know, the thing that has, encouraged, has impressed me the most about Philip over the years is that he's an encourager. He's an encourager. With all of his qualities and all of his superiority in so many ways, he could easily make people feel low. But he doesn't. He tries to lift up everybody that he comes in contact with. We were talking one day. He's been all over the world in missions. He's held academic posts in missions. We were talking one day uh, about a particular country, and, and how many requests for help you would get through email from, from that particular country, and, and he said, yes, he said, that's a mess, but he said, you know, when I get those, he said, I always send them at least $25 just to encourage them, and I thought, wow, what a, what an amazing thing to do, just to encourage them. And he tries to encourage everybody. He's encouraged me on numerous occasions. He encourages everybody. Everybody who knows him sees him as that Barnabas, that son of encouragement. Encouraging people is a wonderful thing to do. It is a wonderful gift, and it is so valuable. You can probably think of times in your own life when somebody has spoken just the right word of encouragement that changed your day or maybe changed your life. When somebody said something to you that lifted you up, when somebody said something to you that inspired you, or that made you think, I can make it after all, or I can endure what I'm going through after all, it may not have seemed like much, but it may have turned the the tide of your day or your life simply by a word. It reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Oh, what an important text that is. What an important text that is. Here's a good test of anything you're about to say. Will it impart grace? Will it impart grace to those who hear it? Will it lift them up? Will it build up? Is it it suitable for the occasion? Will it be helpful? Or will it tear down? In Isaiah chapter 15 verse 4. The servant of the Lord is portrayed as saying this. God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. He's given me the tongue of one who's been taught that I may know how to sustain him who is weary. What a beautiful thing to do to sustain with a word someone who is weary. You never know when your word of encouragement may be just that word that somebody needs. I appreciate what Ben said earlier. Your word of encouragement may change somebody's outlook on life. It may change their outlook on serving God. It may encourage them to continue in serving the Lord in ways they might not have thought about doing otherwise, or they might have been discouraged about doing had you not encouraged them. Telling somebody that you know is going through a hard time, I'm praying for you. That's so simple, but it can mean so much. Telling someone, I appreciate you, And what you mean in my life, or I've been thinking about you, or asking them sincerely, not just as a way of greeting, how are you, but how are you doing, and then letting them tell you, seeking to lift them up. The words you speak can do more good than you can imagine. I'm sure there are other positive uses of the tongue, but These are enough to show something of its power. But you know, if you're going to use your tongue for good, you have to make a deliberate decision that that's what you're going to do. You have to make a deliberate decision. You will not accidentally say the right words. You will not accidentally use your tongue positively instead of negatively. You will only do that if you have resolved that's what you're going to do, and you'll slip up even then. But if you don't deliberately decide to use your tongue in a positive way, in a careful way, not a careless way, then it will never come to fruition in your life. We have to make that deliberate decision, but when we do, it will go a long way toward correcting the misuses of the tongue because we'll be less likely to want to. If you're focused on using your tongue in positive ways, you'll want your words to be filled with praise and thanksgiving and encouragement and uplifting, and instructing, and confession of faith to other people, and to be far less tempted to use your tongue negatively. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We are all armed and dangerous. We have to decide to be sure to use the gift that God has given us to impart life and not death. If you decide to come to Christ today and confess him, you can do that before this assembly. And we encourage you to do it. Let's stand together and sing.